0: Welcome to Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst. We're here to discuss public policy issues in our home state of Colorado and beyond. Making Action Happen is presented by Action 22. Find out more about our organization at action22.org. Now, here is your host, Sarah Blackhurst.
1: Hello and welcome back to Action 22's radio broadcast, Making Action Happen. We are live at the annual meeting uh, in Pueblo, Colorado at Water Tower Place. We have some of the most uh, influential influential community leaders from around the region here with us today. Um, And I'm really excited to be here, especially with our good friend, the uh, Colorado AG, Phil Weiser. Uh, And I just we're going to have a little bit of a conversation Um, later on in the show. We're going to visit with Rick Klein, who is going to give us an update on all the exciting things that are happening. With, happening with the Southwest Chief. Um, and then we're going to have two uh, really great community leaders from Los Atomos County. We're going to have uh, Phil Rico, who is the mayor of Trinidad. And we're going to have Tony Haas, who is the county commissioner for Los Atomos County. So uh, this is going to be a great show. We're really excited. But first, we're going to have uh, with us Phil Weiser. So Phil, I just want to jump right in um, with a couple things. Um, do you remember when we first met?
2: I'm trying to remember the exact first meeting. Remind me where it was.
1: So we were here in Pueblo and I was invited to come over to a coffee to meet with you. And you were this super energetic um, and dare I say, damn. And I thought, Oh, he's, <laughs> he's just doing the rounds. He's running for office. Um, and you and I visited and, and we got to be pretty good buddies, but I thought when you left, I'm never going to hear from him again. And, I think it was about 24 hours later you joined Action 22. I had brought up a few issues to you then, and just to kind of see if you were going to do anything with it, if you were going to follow up on it or anything. But I genuinely didn't think that you were going to—I was ever going to see you again because you—you were campaigning at the time. But you have been really, really involved ever since, Um, and. You call, you check up, you check in. We've done some really cool projects, and I'm going to have you talk about that in a second. Um, Our room has already heard a little bit about the Copper Project, but I want to do that for our listeners. So my question to you, and I get teased a little bit because you are, you know, the dam, and everybody was like, what are you doing? And I'm like, "Bill is the best. But here's the thing, and I gush a little bit, sorry. Um, I gush a little bit. But you've done a really, really good job of representing everybody regardless. And you are a very faithful Democrat, but you've done a really good job of representing everybody in Colorado. So how do you do that? How do you walk that line? Because it's a thing, a thing not a lot of elected officials can do.
2: Well, first I'll give you my favorite memory with you, which is one thing you had mentioned to me that was really bothering you and right back at you. I don't care what party you are, but if you care about people, you've won me over. And you care so much about oh, so many people. You, you're the Southern Colorado party, and so am I. So we're the same party. <laughs> and I'm you hungry. said to me, it's really wrong. If someone ends up getting arrested and needs health care while they're in jail, their Medicaid eligibility ends. And that puts them in a really bad place because they're not getting health care and their life just goes downhill. So when I went to the White House, you kind of get to ask one question of the president's team. And I said, because the president's team was just talking about the First Step back, which is trying to help address criminal justice inequities. I said, when can we address this Medicaid eligibility issue right. and not have Medicaid end just because someone is put in jail? Because people end up in jail for lots of reasons. The goal, I think, is we don't want it to be the end of their lives because someone made a mistake. And so yeah. my answer to you is because the first principle I have is to the rule of the law. And the second is the serving people. And if we're aligned on both those two, you talk about the Constitution. The rest, it doesn't matter as much. And let me tell you a quick story, because you mentioned um, earlier RBG. Justice Scalia was talking to his clerks. He was about to send RBG flowers for his birthday. And one of Justice Scalia's clerks said, why are you going to send her flowers? She doesn't vote with you. And he said, some things are more important than votes.
1: That's going to be, I think, the big theme (laughs) for everybody right now and, and i hear it a lot but then we don't see it demonstrated a lot is regardless of party what's right not who is right and that's a really difficult lift uh, i think there's a lot of pressure from both parties to to just be about the party but not about voters it's something i see all the time we talk about it a lot and you know that that particular issue i had heard from so many county commissioners um about the about the jail thing that when somebody's arrested then they don't get their um they don't have or their medicaid benefits are suspended and from a, a personal point of view you know the people who are um who are in that situation regardless of of what's going on they don't have those benefits but then that burden for caring for them goes on our counties and you had never heard of this. And you turned to Garrison Ortiz, who was with us at the time, and you said, is this really true? And Garrison's like, yeah, it's really true. This is really what's happening. And that was the first thing that you followed up that I brought. And there's, you've not failed to follow up on anything like that. But that how we as leaders, because um, everybody without exception, who's an Action 22 member is a leader in their community. I say it a lot, but it bears repeating. Without exception, they're leaders. How do we support them in serving everybody, especially when it's an elected office, um, instead of saying just the party line?
2: I would recommend to everybody, and I think your life will be better for this too, adopt a learning mindset. Don't assume you know everything. So one thing, Sarah, that has been so amazing about you in Action 22 is every time I have a conversation with you, every Action 22 event I am at, I learned something new. And I follow up on it because it's an opportunity to improve the lives of the people here in Colorado. So on Twitter today, for those who follow Twitter, I posted a question that is worth asking of every elected official, public servant, what have you learned from someone in opposing political party for you? Because if we pretend that we can't learn from someone because they're in a different political party, shame on us. No one has a monopoly on wisdom, on facts, we should engage, we should work together. And if this divisiveness, and in fact, even demonization, based on party continues, it will be the end of our republic. John Adams and Thomas Jefferson, different political parties, had a engaged friendship and wrote to one another till their dying days because they learned from one another.
1: Um, How powerful that is. Especially in this day and age. Um, so, I'm going to ask the question of you. What have you learned from a Republican, a big fat Republican?
2: What have you learned? So, I want to start with Russ George, who
3: was the former Speaker of the House and was the head of both the Department of Transportation
2: and also uh, DNR, Natural Resources. Russ, for those who don't know him, he's extraordinary. And you would think someone who goes to Harvard Law School would thumb their nose at a small town like Rifle, Colorado, but not Russ <laughs> George,
1: right. We never forgot where he came from,
2: and knows more about Colorado water than I'll ever know. And let me tell you the most profound teaching I've learned from Russ. He studied and looked at the relations between Colorado and surrounding states in the interstate compact we have in the Colorado River, and thought, can not we create a system in Colorado where we have basins that collaborate and work together. And he came up with this vision for collaboration around water that we're benefiting from. And that leadership has made an extraordinary difference.
1: Don't you find that you'll have a little bit of, like a little issue, somebody will bring something to you and then you're gonna research it a little bit and then you find a year later, you know way more than you ever thought you would know on a particular issue. How many times does that happen? Does that happen, like, all the time for you?
2: It's one of the very best things. For those who are thinking about running for office or getting more engaged, you put your finger on something that is truly extraordinary. I'll mention two examples. When I started running to be Attorney General, I knew a little bit about water because one of my friends at the law school was a water law expert. And it was an interesting world. Right, Man, oh, man, it is wonderfully arcane, challenging, important, And even emotional, there's a great uh, line about water conversations, which is uh, whiskeys for drinking, waters for fighting. So that's that's water for you in Colorado. That's Colorado for you. The second one is the opioid epidemic, something else I talked about. And it was showing up in Alamosa County and getting to know Robert Jackson, the sheriff there, that was profound because I knew, again, abstractly, and I've had a few friends who suffered from the opioid epidemic, but I had no idea to the extent that it was devastating in parts of Colorado. Yeah, And that's something that I have then gone deeper and deeper into. And one of the best parts about being attorney general is I get the opportunity to learn, to engage with people and then do something about it. And we're working on water protecting the Valley. We're working on the opioid epidemic. And this other initiative I know we're talking about is a great example of public policy can make a difference. So my message is please don't get cynical, get engaged.
1: I love that. Don't get cynical, get engaged. That would just carry a lot of us, (laughs) a lot of ways through um, all the issues that we're dealing with right now. So one of the things that we talked about early on was asbestos. And I know that we all talked about this a little bit, but we were talking about asbestos. We were talking about workforce development and we were talking about housing shortages for our, for all of our region, for the Action 22 region. And so you started to think about ways that we could just address all these issues together. And so we started on this journey. It's been just a little over a year ago. Do you realize it's been just a little bit over a year ago. Um, And you said, come along, we're, I'm going to do a thing. And then we were all in the car and you were talking, talking, and you turned around and you looked at me, you go, have we not talked to you about this yet? And I was like, no, you know, like, okay, so this is what we're doing. because um, it was really to address those three issues. So talk let's talk a little bit about how that all came about and who all we pulled started pulling in, and it's kind of an innovative idea.
2: First I want to give another shout out to Russ George, because Russ said to me when I mentioned this idea to him, he's a very important mentor, he said the three community colleges in southern and southeastern Colorado are used to working together. And Part of what I would say to people, if you listen and keep an open mind, you really can learn things. And I've heard this from you numerous times. And then other people, and I thought, I've got to do something. And it turned out we had this money that was going to housing, but none of it had gone to Southern and Southeastern Colorado. And I thought, that's wrong. So then, to your point, I thought, what are some options? I wonder if the community colleges would be willing to train workforce. Because part of what we heard is... It's really expensive to remediate asbestos because people have to come down from like Pueblo or Colorado Springs all the way down to pick your county but obviously if you're going all the way down to Trinidad that's a long trip right so the housing stock ends up getting blighted I thought what if we train people down here and while they're learning they do apprenticeships and then you build your workforce that's giving people jobs you're building better housing so it helps the whole community. Right. And then you remove the asbestos, which is good for protecting people because we don't want that just sitting there. So I thought this is a win several times over. And I'll tell you, the community college presidents who you introduced me to, they were like, you had me at a look for those who haven't seen the movie, Jerry Maguire.
1: <laughs> so let me tell you who these, um, these three are. Um, of, of course, one of them is um, our very own. And I say our very own because she's on the board. She is amazing. I'm a huge fan of hers, Dr. Linda Lujan. Um, and then Tim Alvarez is uh, Otero, yeah, Otero Junior College. And then we actually have Rhonda Epper here somewhere. Um, hi there. Uh, and she is a new president for Trinidad, community, or Trinidad State College. And so they were already set up to work together in a really cool way. So we started to talk about that. We started to talk about, and my, my view was, or our view is that we had had lots of conversations about workforce development and one of the things that we knew would drive a better workforce development is the dual enrollment that's already in place the dual enrollment program that's already in place for the community colleges and high schools and that that was being underutilized especially for our rural communities and that was just the biggest waste For us, that this wasn't happening more. And so when we were talking about that, that was part of that piece that we thought this is the workforce development portion that we need to look at. So it's pretty cool that you drew that through. And then we talked a little bit about um, all the the problems with asbestos abatement um, that we had talked about in the summer of 2018 everything that we had learned there and how it was so expensive and there was all this housing stock that couldn't be have anything done with it because it was too expensive on the asbestos side so we worked with CDPHE to address some of those issues and then this third piece is the piece I want you to talk about with um, getting all of those together and then having that funding for that so talk about because there's not not another model we couldn't find another model that put all those pieces together to do what we were talking about
2: the funding was again I was looking for how do we address this issue. And when John Southers was attorney general, he won this $60 million settlement around housing. It was coming from that housing meltdown. And I thought, housing, part of our state that I've seen as the biggest housing crisis is southern and southeastern Colorado. So let me ask, what has happened to that $60 million? And I looked into it. And it turns out none of it had gone to Southern and Southeastern Colorado. And I wanna tell you back to your point about political parties, there's the party of Colorado we're both in and there's the party of innovation that we're both in. A lot of it's not Democrats or Republicans, it's inertia. Let's keep doing things how we always did things or it's innovation. Maybe we can try something different. This was trying something different. It was taking money that wasn't going to a standard program but it was going to invest through the community colleges with the communities and by the way, People like Mayor Rico stepped up big time to say we're in. Right. And we made it an easy choice, $5 million that we're putting into this effort to really make a difference.
1: And $5 million may not sound like a lot of money, but for this area, that's incredibly impactful. And so what do you see in the future? So this is sort of an experiment, yep. which that takes a huge amount of, of bravery um, for whatever reason, a lot of community leaders don't want to experiment. They're, they think that they, um, they would rather do nothing than fail kind of idea. Uh, and that was probably why we got along so well. Because we were like, let's try this. Let's see what we can come up with. And then I have this amazing board of directors who's willing to support. Let's try something new. Let's see what we can do. If we have to rebuild, we have to rework, we can do that. So that's probably why we have that Amen. Yeah, we have
2: to be trying new things and you're right. There's this old mantra. No one ever got fired for buying IBM so keep buying IBM, even if it's not the best. That's not <laughs> my view. My view is I'm not afraid to try new things. I'm afraid of doing nothing. And basically looking back at my time as attorney general and saying, what did I accomplish? I just kept churning the wheels of government. I'm not in this to churn things the way they've always been. I want to ask always, and we have four core values in our office. One is we are principled back to the rule of law. We're public servants. It's about serving. It's about the people. We're innovative, and we're better together. It's about collaborating. And those values drove this project. We believe we're going to prove something special here, and then the goal is to have it keep going, a virtuous cycle, because once the properties get sold, if you will, you can get that money and put it back into the project. So right. our goal, we don't want to see that $5 million again. We want that in the community. But we want to keep going forward. And also, I'm personally invested in this. So I'm going down there for meetings to say, how do I help? And it's not just Southeast and Southern Colorado. I had a similar meeting in Craig. We're giving $500,000 to the community college up there to set up a cybersecurity program because that's a community that's really hurting. They're, they're losing their coal Fired power plant, yeah. and we have to think creatively. How do we make Craig a great community in the future during a changing time? And yes, times are going to change. We need to change with them.
1: Love it, love it. So I'm going to um, finish off with this with one thought. Uh, I've, I've given this, been thinking about this a lot. And you and I talked about it not too long ago. Um, this idea that I think really the the most influential and emerging leaders are the ones that are going to be able to keep the temperature down. So. Um, In a month, we're going to all have to step up about keeping the temperature down. What are you going to do?
2: We have to remember from first principles that we are all we the people. And any efforts to demonize need to be countered with love. There's a, a great saying from Martin Luther King, which is darkness can't crowd out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate can't crowd out hate. Only love can do that. So we've got to bring light and love to all we do. We've got to be our best authentic selves. There's a lot of noise that's going to be out there. Tune out the noise. And fill it instead with positive problem solving. That's what our country needs.
1: I appreciate it so much. Phil, thank you so, so much for being a part of this and doing this and just being such a great friend to us. We appreciate you so much. Um, Next, we're going to have up... uh, uh, Rick Klein, who is with, he's actually the city manager for La Hunta, um, and he does some amazing stuff. He's the best cheerleader ever. He—he um, <laughs> For those of you who are not able to see him, he's doing a little dance right now. He's done some amazing things. This project has been a pet project of his forever. We've been hearing about it for a really long time. I don't think anybody really knew that Southwest Chief and that whole thing was going to happen. So for our listeners, first, um, this is Rick, um, but will you give us a really brief history about the South, Southwest Chief Project?
4: In uh, 2010, Amtrak came to uh, all the communities in, uh, from Newton, Kansas, down to Lamy, New Mexico and along the Southwest Chief Line and said that we need uh, $200 million worth of improvements or else we were going to lose our train. And it's one of the historic trains on the national uh, network. And so uh, we held a meeting uh, with all the three states and the communities affected along it. And uh, by the end of the meeting, we had a coalition. And uh, of course, you know, I uh, took care of Colorado. We had Matt Allen, uh, who's the city manager out of Garden City that uh, took care of Kansas. And we had a gentleman named uh, it was County Commissioner out of Colfax County, which is right in New Mexico, Bill Saba, and uh, he helped out with New Mexico. And uh, we got on board with uh, the Burlington Northern Santa Fe. And they said, Joan, they would come to the table if all the communities would come to the table and help out. Amtrak said they would. And we formed this proper, uh, partnership. And we built off of that partnership to where, you know, my first, uh, all three states had told us no, they didn't have no money for uh, this endeavor.
1: So, what was the objective?
4: The objective was to rebuild the line from uh, Lamy, New Mexico, up to uh, Newton, Kansas, and uh, that comes through uh, uh, a big swath of Kansas, rural area, southeast Colorado, Lamar, Trinidad, and La Junta. And then it drops down into uh, New Mexico and takes you all the way into uh, Albuquerque.
1: And a passenger
4: train. And it's so a passenger, passenger rail. Train. Yeah. And and the rail we're replacing, young know, was the old clickety-clack rail, bolted rail that would have been out there forever. And we worked on this. Now here we are, jetson to uh, 2020. And I've seen advocates die that stayed on until their death to see whether we got uh, TIGER grants. When we first started, the three of us, we didn't know how to spell TIGER. And uh, TIGER grants are uh, federal grants that uh, the feds give out for rail and it's different you know, type of uh, infrastructure improvements. And now we find ourselves the most successful TIGER program in the nation. Now they call it the BUILD program now. And we're 32 miles of rail left to bring up to. Passenger rail standard along from Newton, Kansas, all the way down to uh, Lamy, New Mexico.
1: Where's that at?
4: Lamy, New Mexico is uh, just east of Albuquerque.
1: So every place else is ready to go.
4: Every place else is ready to go. This latest grant that we did get did a lot of uh, work in New Mexico along the Seoul section. We had, we were successful with a through uh, car grant as far as uh, through the Southwest Chief and Front Range Rail Commission, and that's a state commission, to see about a car coming off the Southwest Chief to Pueblo, then to Springs, and come back. And we're in the middle of this study. It looks very favorable. But what the effort we did on Southwest Chief, and then let me make sure that I uh, give kudos out to uh, Bill, or uh, <laughs> Phil Rico. Phil Rico, uh, Mayor Trinidad has been on uh, since the get go. Senator Crapper couldn't have done it without him. You know, he's been a great supporter at the state. There you go. Yes, Senator Gardner. You know, Senator Gardner's been a champion for us all along
1: on this journey. So this has been a so this wasn't a one or two year deal. How long have no. you been working on this?
4: Since uh, 2012, and City Council asked me what I could do to help save the train, and uh, little did I know what would come out of it. We uh, formed the Southwest Chief and Front Range uh, Rail Commission through the state of Colorado. Uh, That was them, Watnuts, and I came on to the commission along with uh, Phil Rico. And we've been very successful with some uh, grants to uh, put passenger rail along the Front Range from Cheyenne down to Trinidad. Now, first, they'll be wanting to go from Pueblo up to uh, Denver but we have to make sure that it continues all the way down because city of Trinidad, Pueblo County, they've been putting their money where their mouth is. Hopefully we'll see the same amount of uh, Northern Colorado. You know, the statement was made earlier about that in Southeast Colorado, we work better together. And I've witnessed that as we've been going to uh, public hearings up and down the state of Colorado. I was shocked to find out once you hit Denver North that Denver hates Northern Colorado. Northern Colorado hates Denver. I thought we were all Coloradans, but that just goes up to past uh, probably uh, Castle Rock. And then they fight. And uh, so, but everybody needs to be on board because what we've been seeing is everything went from... uh, 30 to 45 years as far as passenger rail along the front range. And now all the stuff that we see says five to 10 years. Yeah. This is Amtrak's number one project to bring back uh, Amtrak after this pandemic.
1: So for those of you who are listening who are not from Colorado, Colorado has some unofficial boundaries. And one of them is i the I-25 corridor. So when you hear somebody from Colorado talk about the front range, or if you want to impress somebody, that uh, from Col- from outside if you want to press a uh, press in colorado and from outside of colorado's talk about the front range so there's a lot of rural urban divide um, between there and then you have it sort of bisects the state so on you have the western slope and then you have the front range and the eastern plains so there's all these different things so when would the project be done that you could actually start carrying passengers. Um, who's going to provide the trains, and what's the timeline?
4: We're working with uh, Amtrak right now. Uh, we were successful on a Chrissy grant where uh, they uh, gave uh, the feds given us enough money for uh, the pre NEPA. Okay. And uh, NEPA is a National Environmental Protection Agency for uh, all along the. Uh, Front Range. And the reason why I call it Front Range instead of I 25 is because uh, as we were doing our public hearings, they didn't want us to call it I 25 corridor. They wanted us to call it Front Range. Right. expanded. Um, And they gave us enough money for an interoperability railroad modeling study. And that'll uh, tell us where we can uh, operate along the Front Range with the Class 1 railroads, BMSF and UP. Okay. Northern, you get up, is uh, Great Western Railway. And uh, whether we have to build some of our own track, wherever that track would be, you know, because uh, we got to have all the freight trains coming up and down the uh, front range or I-25 corridor. And uh, we uh, don't want to be a hindrance to them, but we need to make sure that we are a part of
1: them. Right. So we're going to take a quick break. Um, I'm going to have Rick stick with us um, for after the break for just a few minutes because I want to talk a little bit about what realistic impact would be for these communities. Um, and a little bit about that. So this is, once again, you are listening to the action 22 radio broadcast of making action happen. I'm Sarah Blackhurst. Um, this is, you are on the voice American network. We'll be back right after this break.
5: If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts.
1: Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships,
0: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. This is Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst. To reach the show today, call in to 1 866 472 5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You may also reach out via email to sarah.blackhurst at action22.org. Now, back to Making Action Happen.
1: Hi, this is Sarah Blackhurst, and we're back um, from our break to Making Action Happen. I wanted to tell you a little bit uh, for listeners who um, aren't here. I wish you could be here. Um, this is actually a super cool venue. We are in uh, Water Tower Place. Water Tower Place uh, used to be um, in the old old days uh, the packing plant, the meat packing plant uh, here in Pueblo. It was the first meat packing plant west of the Mississippi. It was built about a hundred years ago. And a really interesting fact about this venue is that the regulations that the USDA created for meat packing was done right here. So this is a super cool place. It's a super cool project that is being revitalized by a gentleman by the name of Brian McWilliams. Uh, Brian McWilliams, interestingly enough, is kind of a railroad guy. So um, he's, this project is near and dear, uh, Southwest Chief is near and dear to his heart. Um, And it's really cool because where we're sitting, um, a lot of the furniture that is in the room has been, is repurposed from railroad, um, ties railroad so there's these cool tables that have the stirrups that you know you jump onto rail cars with it's a such a cool place so check it out um google water tower place in pueblo and you'll see all about it so we're back with rick klein again and rick again is the actually the city manager for la hanta which is a super cool little town is one of these wet this eastern plains towns um and there's Rick's been there forever he is the most hometown guy you'll ever meet and we joke around that he must function on uh, caffeine and and sunshine because he's always got a huge um, positive spirit He's been working on this project with uh, Southwest Chief for a really long time. We've heard about it quite a bit uh, with the Action 22 board and at meetings and stuff like that. So it actually looks like it's going to happen. So you said earlier that there's 200 miles left?
4: No, uh, 32 miles.
1: 32 miles left, and we're ready to go. So this is going to happen really quickly.
4: Guaranteed, and then you'll see a shift over to mostly on the front range. Uh, But we'll have, uh, after Tiger 9 is done, We'll have 316 continuous miles of passenger for rail from Lamy, uh, New- uh, from Newton, Kansas, down to uh, La Hunta, Colorado.
1: So, what, let's talk about realistically what the impact is, because I think everybody's still, they look at some different things, and Coloradans love their cars. They love, there's a lot of roads, we drive a lot. Um, what's going to be the actual impact of of passenger rail do you think realistically
4: realistically when you're building the system you have the uh, southwest chief on the south side you have california zephyr that comes into denver from chicago both of them originate out of chicago one goes down to uh, los angeles california southwest chief california zephyr goes over to uh, san francisco now Envision that you can come from Chicago, come into Denver, travel all the way down the front range from Denver down to Pueblo or to Trinidad, get back on the Southwest Chief and go into uh, Los Angeles. If right now you'd have to go all the way to California and then come down to California coast, six and a half million people along the front range. We had a higher percentage, and Phil, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was like 86% of uh, Colorado want this, and there were 60 odd percent of them are willing to tax ourselves for this. If you have ever rode in uh, along the Front Range I-25 corridor from Fort Collins down to Pueblo, you'll see that's stop-and-go traffic. We cannot build ourselves another lane and get out of this. Right. It's time for true mobility within the United States. If they want the national network and their city pairs that Amtrak always talks about to work, they need to integrate those two ideas and uh, make the city pairs feeders, just like what we're trying to do, to the national network and keep it going also. Because you cannot leave rural America out in the cold. We matter too. When people, when Amtrak first started looking at it, they always go end point to end point, Chicago to L.A. We have people in La Junta that go down to New Mexico or they'll go out to Kansas to visit their relatives. And Down in New Mexico, when we were uh, getting money from the communities, they didn't have good uh, bus system, no airport, and that was their sole means to get to and from if They didn't have a car to Albuquerque to see their doctors and their friends.
1: So... Um, if this were to start, when is the first date? like when is it, when are the, they going to actually start carrying passengers?
4: There will have to be a vote. State of Colorado will have to uh, make sure we can fund this. And uh, that's going to happen within the next few years. You know, as soon as we get these studies done to get our uh, costs down to what we need to do. Right. But it's just like with the Southwest Chief, if we all work together, and it's proven, and we don't let the politics get in, because I'll guarantee it, we had Republicans, independents, and Democrats working for this. It was for the nation. We had all the communities, hotel counties here. Uh, Amy uh, Tanabe White is uh, representing them. And they've been with us since to get or given money. Now, City of La Junta, as far as other than my time, it's been about 37,500. And we've led that into 200 million. Come on, when you partner up with the class, ones partner up with your different states we could change the nation and we need to make sure that we have uh, a good passenger rail system at the end of this not everybody can afford a car not everybody can afford insurance for cars right uh, the people i talk to that ride that train they need that train and i bet that's all I bet that goes across this nation the, the users of these trains that's their means
1: that's awesome Rick, thanks so much for talking Thank with you. us today. I appreciate it. Thanks for all the great work you do and such a public servant and a, a service leader. We appreciate well, you so it's always, much.
4: It's always nice because we live in the land of milk and honey here in the <laughs> Southeast Colorado.
1: <laughs> I love it. Thanks, Rick. Um, next, I'm going to um, have join the, uh, the mayor of Trinidad, Colorado. His name is Phil Rico. <clears throat> and if you know... If you know Trinidad or Colorado well, and you saw, if you were to pick up out of a hundred people that you saw that were like, oh, that's the mayor of Trinidad, Phil Rico looks like the mayor of Trinidad. He's so about it. We love him so much. And I've also got um, our county commissioner, Tony Haas. Um, Tony is, and both, let me say, both Tony and Rick are um, on the, kit. or Phil, sorry, sorry, Phil Rico, they're both Action 22 board members. And so they've done a really good job for us. But I wanna say a little bit, I'm gonna make it tough on you guys just a little bit before we get started. Um, It's kind of a big lift um, and everybody should take a moment to be impressed. The city of Trinidad and the county commissioners have not always gotten along that is, they're sort of famous for it, right? So they've not always gotten along. And so these two, I had somebody kind of make fun of me when I invited both of them, we invited both of them to be on the board. But you guys have done a really good job, um, especially through all this, of finding ways to work together. So how do you do that? Well, you know- Talk about
5: that for a second. A couple years ago, when Tony and uh, Felix Lopez came on the board, Uh, I talked to our our city council, I said, you know, it's time that we try to come together as a city and a county to work together. If you're going to move your area together, your county, your city, there needs to be that partnership. So that's really what, and I approached uh, Luis Lopez, who is the chairman, I sat down with him, I said, it's time that we come together and work to try to make this area better.
1: So Tony, what'd you do?
3: so uh when i was running and campaigning i had talked to phil phil and i have served on several different boards together prior to this and he said uh, we need to really do something to pull these two entities together so we can work together and i said i agree wholeheartedly because when you apply for those major grants for any big project like the fisher peak project everybody has to be on the same page and uh, just it kind of greases the wheels so that you can get that done
1: and you two absolutely agree on everything all the time right
3: no (laughs) No.
5: (laughs) well you know i was going to say one thing you know kind of as an opening thing if you're going to move your area together whether your city your county your region you need to develop partnerships develop a partnership between the city and the county commissioners your city officials your citizens you need to keep them informed you also need to keep your major partnerships within the, for instance, the TSJC. Right. Your big businesses in the community. You also have to establish partnerships at your state level. Larry Crowder, Senator Crowder has been a big advocate of Trinidad. So he comes down quite a bit. He, you know, I've seen him more than anybody from the state level. You need to develop other partnerships at the state level. So you need to bring everybody as close as you can together if you're going to adventure area.
3: And thank you for this for this uh, committee action 22 and what you're able to do because you do that you fill that void, and uh, you got you got reputable people that sit on this board that uh, can with a, just a phone call you can reach out and get the information that you need. You don't have to reinvent the wheel, so it's really it's really nice to be able to work with them all of these people that are a part of this board.
1: Well, thanks. No, they're amazing. Action training Two people are amazing. I can't say enough good things about them, so I appreciate that. So speaking of phone calls, uh, we uh, Phil was calling me pretty regularly for a little bit um, during the COVID crisis, um, and every time he called me, I was on a kayak in the middle of the lake.
4: I wish I um, could do that too, you know?
1: <laughs> so he'd be like, what do you actually do? I'm like, I'm actually on a kayak, Mayor. Um, but let's talk a little bit about that COVID um, and what, there. I, and I had talked with both of you on different occasions, on different, some concerns. Because your concerns weren't the same, so but there's big concerns about keeping everybody safe and big concerns about keeping the economy going, um, and that was really stressful. So talk a little bit about that. About how do you how do you walk that line? Because you guys had to do a lot uh, and very different views on it, but you guys had to do a lot. How did you do that? Like where were the first sort of the panic, and then what did you guys do to overcome that?
3: Why did you gonna go first. Yeah. So. Uh- What a challenge, that's all I can say for every county commissioner out there. They know the challenges that we're dealing with. Uh, Many of the misperceptions was that the county commissioners have had the all authority to overrule what the governor and what our health department was doing. And uh, during a pandemic and an emergency situation, we don't have that authority. The governor makes the decision, CDPHE, with with the help of CDPHE, That directive is then transferred down to our health department and that everybody else follows suit to that directive. Right. And if not, it it can get a little challenging. You don't want to do for one and not the other.
1: And people didn't understand that. People didn't really know how it worked. And did you really, had you really thought about that? And that was the chain of command was a totally different thing now. The chain of command really really was different during that time. What,
3: What a what an eye-opening experience uh, you run for commissioner your first time and uh, you get hit with a pandemic that's never happened before um, yeah we had to do some really really hard homework at night and uh, a lot of phone calls to different commissioners that none of them had any any uh, advice to give because they'd never been through it before right. either and uh, all we can do is follow state statute and and uh, you can't pick and choose which laws and which directives you're gonna follow. You just, you have to follow state statute.
5: Yeah. Mayor. You know, something that uh, when you decide to run for an elective position, you have an idea of what maybe some of the things that are laying out there, you know, your your local economy, you know, other things like this, which was a big thing for, of course, the city of Trinidad, Los Angeles County, or economics that we have been economically depressed. <laughs> But then all of a sudden we get hit with a pandemic. What the heck do we do with this thing guys? How do we keep our citizens safe? How do we keep them healthy? You need to try to establish a good line of communication between us, but also with your health department. And sometimes your health department makes some pretty tough decisions that, aren't, that are, are difficult to swallow sometimes. And fortunately, a lot of that comes down from the CDHP I guess i right? CD, yeah.
1: And, if that's and the also Colorado from, Department of Public Health right. and Environment.
5: Yes, and also from the governor. So you've got to balance those and try to keep those lines of communication open with them. And then you got to come back to the citizens and say, this is what we're trying to do. And even though we may not agree, but we still have to participate and be part of it.
1: Well, and there's an interesting law that came, became a problem in Colorado, and that is the Um, public meetings laws where you have it's a public meeting if you have two-thirds of a commission um, that's an elected official if you have two-thirds of a commission um, then it's a public meeting and it has to be it has to be publicized ahead of time you can't just have a meeting well some of the problem with that is most of our counties are have three commissioners so you or cannot
3: five or seven. Yeah,
1: yeah. but there. But if you have three commissioners, you can't have two commissioners talk, have a conversation with mm-hmm. each other without violating the law. The sunshine that. law. It's called the sunshine law. So that was one of the things that we talked about. Now that's similar for um, city council as mm-hmm. well, right? Yes, we can't have more than two. So you can't have more than two. And you can't have more than two talking to each other and it not be a public meeting. So that was one of the things that we really had to do some work around and say, okay, we're going to have these conversations, but really facilitate those conversations. But that was an added level to that line of communication that you couldn't just do without just having a conversation. You couldn't even do that.
3: Correct. Because Phil, he could talk to me. We could talk. We did lots of times on the phone. And he could on the phone or in person he could talk to each one of us separately but never with two of us in the room together because then we'd violate that sunshine law. so there was challenges
1: there were some big challenges now there's some amazing things going on in los Angeles county right now i mean some really positive things fisher peak is one of them um tell everybody what that's about and what you guys had to do because uh, that happened but tell everybody what the listeners what happened, what Fisher Peak is, and then how did that all happened.
5: Well, well, that started was in 2017, it was in September. A friend of mine, Jay chenino and I said, We're sitting down one day, and he said, Phil, um, what if we could buy some property on Fisher's Peak? I said, Okay, that sounds interesting. So, what it is at the time is uh, we were looking at like 4,600 acres, and uh, matter of fact, Mr. Lopez was on council at the time. I took it back to city council and I proposed it. Had to do some talking, some convincing, and they said, okay. So around January, after we had uh, got brought in the Trust for Public Lands and the Nature Conservancy, those two groups came back to us and said, why don't we try to purchase the entire 19,000 acres? You know, I'm sitting here scratching my head, how in the heck are we going to cut them up? Because I knew what the owner was asking. She was asking for a little over $30 million for the entire project. So I went back to city council to get approval to move forward with it. Again, talking to the council, had to do a little more on twisting and talking, got the idea, got the okay to move forward. So it has moved forward since then. And shortly after all of that, you know, the Trust Public Lands uh, and the, the uh, Colorado Parks and Wildlife became very interested. And uh, between both of them, they put in $14.5 million. The price tag on the entire project was 25.45 million dollars. So there was a 11 million dollar hole there. Uh, So anyway, in order to close, them two entities brought forward that 11 million dollars to close, and they closed. I think it was in February or March of 19. So uh, it was. I think in. I think it was May sometime of 2019. We heard that the governor was interested in converting it to a state park. Great. Yep. It takes the monkey off our back because all this time we're trying to figure out we're how, are, to figure
1: out the money. how yeah. are we
5: going to operate this thing? We got yeah. 19,000 acres. How in the heck are we going to operate this thing? Well, this took the monkey off our back, basically. Right. So uh, this last year, uh, it was signed in as a uh, state park. Yeah. So we're well on our way right now with, uh, with the master plan. Trying to get a partial opening here shortly, hopefully it'll happen quick. Uh, during this time though, we've had some, we've came up with a partnership to come up with a $400,000 uh, grant. And uh, the county put in 50,000, the city put in 50,000 and trust for public plans and other per- partnerships came up with hundred thousand dollars. So we now have applied for a $400,000 grant for the national planning process, which would be most of it, all that money is going to actually be for uh, the economic development of the area, not the peak itself. Oh wow! Because funny. one thing that you that cannot be done is because Dola is provided, this this grant is from Dola, and Dola cannot give money to another state agency but he can give it to a city or a county that's trying to do something. So that's where that's at. So we've partnered with that and we will continue to partner with
1: that. Yeah. So Commissioner, talk a little bit about why that's such a big deal. I mean, $400,000 isn't a lot of money. Why is that such a big deal though?
3: Well, it'll help to d- develop that, that plan going forward, where we're going to put the uh, rest areas and that sort of thing. Also, uh, uh, it, it was, the county uh, had helped with the, uh, the uh, oh, what do you call it? The the construction of where these pieces were going to go. On the first thing that they had to do was do some mitigation for flooding and whatnot. And uh, they had come to us and asked if there would be any available riprap that we could help them put in there. So our county employees, along with our our trucks, and uh, they they did that work. They they helped build the first pad for the first bathroom. So we're excited to be a part of this pro- project. Uh, we know the county's got a bigger role now to fill and moving forward because uh, it is in the county and uh, they gotta to come to us. We're, we're, we're worried about uh, uh, you know the, the potential of fire danger and that right. mitigation that goes along with that. And uh, we got fire departments and that sort of thing that uh, we're gonna have to get everybody on the same page. And that's part of this master plan that will help see where those responsibilities lie.
5: Something that's interesting about this entire project, though, is the, the Fisher's Peak project is 19,000 acres. But if you that only goes up to the edge of the mountain. Up on top of the mountain is Lake Dorothy and the uh, John. James John. And that's another, what, 11, 12,000 acres? 10,000. 10,000. 10, 10, 10, yeah. So adjacent to that is the Sugar Eat Basin, which is New Mexico. That's another, what, five or 6,000. And this is all contiguous property. So between all those properties in the near future, we're going to have close to what thirty-five or forty thousand acres of open space for the public. Right. Public access is something that I've envisioned for a long time. I know I, I, I know the original owner for a long time, and we've started this discussion you know, ten years ago oh, wow. about just public access, just just climbing the mountain, just climbing up there. But then it's evolved into what it's today. So anyway, it just it, there's going to be. It's, it's it's going to help not only Trinidad, Los Angeles County, Colorado, the entire state of Colorado. Uh, we've got national recognition and even some international recognition. Uh, I did an interview with somebody that put out a publication internationally. Oh, wow. They had about two million. And I think they told me had like two million people that they send a publication out to. Yeah. So this thing has gotten a lot of uh, notoriety across everywhere. So it's interesting.
1: So I just have to tell you how amazing and and heartening it is to see what not between you in particular, but those two relationships and how you guys have overcome that and really done that. And I know I've talked with both of you and your heart's been in it, um, not only to do and serve your communities, but to make this whole relationship work. Um, so we're just about out of time, just really quick. I want to hear where what your big light at the end of the tunnel is and what your big light at the end of the tunnel Like, oh, we're going to get through this. This is what it's going to look like. What, that We're going to get through this. It's gonna okay. be what it's going to look like.
3: I think probably the biggest light that I can see that I'd like to see at the end of this tunnel is, uh, I want to get through this COVID pandemic. Um, it's put in a, uh, just an overwhelming burden on our businesses therein in Los Angeles County not just the downtown businesses but the ranches and the farms also and uh it hurts me to see them struggle right um they're upset it's called caused a huge divide there's the the mask wearers and the non-mask wearers and uh the different narratives that everybody hears on the from the media and uh I just I'm ready for this to be over. <laughs> to me, that's that's the light Let's at the end of this. the tunnel. Let's yeah. get through this.
1: Let's get
5: through this. I could just say uh, exactly what he said, but one that the biggest thing to me is the health of our citizens of our area. To me, I think that is you know, besides the business and everything, but it boils down to the health. So far we've had I think we're up to 29. 27, 29. 20, 28? nine, twenty eight. Twenty nine. I sit on the health board, that's why. 29, okay. Yep. So we have not had any deaths in our county yet. No. So we've been very fortunate. So if we could stay there, I to me that's, even though people have got sick, but at least it's a win-win. That what place. an accomplishment
3: to only have 29. That is a We're huge We're right on the I-25 corridor, the gateway to Colorado. Well done. And uh, you know, we have all the marijuana dispensaries and got to say that our health department has done a fantastic job. Got to put a plug in for them.
1: Well done. Well done, all these rural communities. So that is um, how we're going to wrap up the, this third episode of Action 22's Making Action Happen. Thank you all for joining us again. Thank you to all of our guests today, Phil Weiser, Rick Klein, Phil Rico, um, and uh, Tony Haas, um, and for all the great work that they do. This has been Action 22, Making Action Happen on Voice America. Thanks for joining us. Thank
3: you. Thank you.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Making Action Happen. Be sure to join your host, Sarah Blackhurst, for another edition of the show next Thursday at 1 p.m. Mountain Time, 12 noon Pacific Time, and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.